1: Hey, I'm Paul Stevenson and this is episode 84 of Vintage Rock Pod, the ultimate classic rock podcast with a new episode released every single day. You get an extended interview like this one every Monday and in the last few weeks alone we've had three Rock and Roll Hall of Famers on. Plus you get short four or five minute daily episodes Tuesday through Sunday on a show that I call This Day Rocks. Loads of content for all you classic rock fans. Now, if this is your first time listening, then please find Vintage Rock Pod on your podcast app or player of choice, and subscribe directly on there so you don't miss a single episode. As I said, one comes out every day, and you can only get all those episodes on the Vintage Rock Pod feed, so give it a like or a subscribe on there, please. Also, check out the YouTube channel too, Vintage Rock Pod, where you can see all the wonderful guests that I've interviewed over the years. Loads of little videos on there which will keep you amused for hours, honestly. Just search for Vintage Rock Pod on YouTube. Now, today's interview is a man who's been in the business since he was, well, knee-high to a grasshopper, as we'd say in the UK. He was just a boy when he was performing in bands with his father. His journey has taken him through the session world and into a big British group from Manchester, who scored a number three hit in 1979 and a couple of songs that hit the Billboard Hot 100 as well. He's worked on mega-movies like Gladiator, created music for leading video games, and hosts his own interview show where he grills the stars as well. I'm talking about the wonderful Des Tong from Sad Café. Now, Sad Café featured the vocal talent of the wonderful Paul Young... And I have to do this thing now. It's kind of statutory where you say, no, not the Paul Young who sang Everywhere I Lay My Hat or Come Back and Stay. I'm talking about the Paul Young who went on to be lead singer of Mike and the Mechanics with Genesis star Mike Rutherford and the brilliant Paul Carrack alongside them. Now, this group are best known for their big hit Everyday Hurts, but they did have success in North America with the hits Run Home Girl and La Di Da, while their album Facades went top 10 in 1980. So in this interview now, you're going to hear about an offer that Des got from Gladys Knight, playing house parties with famous footballers in attendance, the awkward situation that led to him joining Sad Café, and Sad Café's plans for 2023 with, dare I say it, new music in the offing. So I hope you enjoy this fun chat with Sad Café's Des Tong. Now your music education began at a very early age, didn't it? Your dad got you into playing the bass when you were really young.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well, my dad was a pianist, and he was a fabulous pianist. He used to play places like the the Hotel Piccadilly in Manchester and, and all yeah. things like that. And every young kid wants to bang things, so obviously, you know, oh, yeah, Dad, I want to play the drums. And he went, no, you don't, no, you don't. Um, <laughs> so he, and he had a friend who was a, a double bass player, and he owned a carpet factory. And what he used to do was the the uh, underfelt for the stair carpet he used okay. to store it on the neck of the double this old double bass he had which was on its side and then you could you could sort of reel you know reel it out from it and my dad said well I'll I'll give you a fiver for it and he went yeah okay so so my dad brought this double bass home for me we had to fix it. it had a crack in it so we had to fix it and and that was my that was my first uh introduction my dad loved jazz and oscar peterson trio and 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 ray brown was the bass player one of the greats and so he was early on he was one of my first heroes um and i've still got his double bass uh method he's his uh, tutor which is incredible um and and so at the age of about 12 i was playing in in hotels and little clubs <laughs> with my dad in his trio
1: <laughs> Incredible. <laughs> That's a phenomenal start. And um only just a few years later, when you're a teenager, you're in another band. And I heard a story once there was a famous uh bookmaker in the area who who loved you guys and he used to book you to play at his house at parties and things like that. And there was some kind of celebrities there, shall we say, like to George Brett. Tell us about that. Yeah,
2: well, the guy was called Gus Demi. Uh Demi's bookmakers in Manchester were huge. You know, they were everywhere. Yeah. And the, the band I was in, this Henderson Chambers, we used to play all sorts of, uh, all places. We did little clubs, but we also did house parties, which became very lucrative, I have to say. And, <laughs> and Gus Demi uh, was at one of these parties one night and he said, oh, you've got to come around and play at my place. So, um, And they never usually started till about two o'clock in the morning. Uh, and we turned up and this place was absolutely jumping. And, you know, and, and, yeah, they were all there. George Best was there and various footballers. And, um, yeah, it was, it was, uh, oh, I think I was, yeah, about 18. Very, uh, very <laughs> That's cool. That's
1: yeah, yeah, definitely. Absolutely. <laughs> and another cool story I heard once was when you were playing at a very cool Ronnie Scott's club. Um, and the fabulous Gladys Knight made a comment about wanting to take you back to the States.
2: Oh, yeah. Um, we were working with a, a, a lady called Mona Richardson, um, and she used to be in the Johnny Otis show. She was lovely, and we did a we did a little tour with her around the UK. And we ended up at Ronnie Scott's. Um, I'm doing a week. Uh, the, the 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 main act was uh, Elvin Jones, big big jazz yeah. player. Um, but we went on stage, and and it was great. And we came off and. With, somebody said oh there's some guests over in the bar would like to say hello and we went over <laughs> and Gladys Knight and the Pips were standing there and she just said oh I love you playing man I'd love to take you back to America and he was, ah, oh okay mm, not sure about that but <laughs> Yeah. So who oh, knows, wow. I might not have been sitting here if I'd have taken the offer up. <laughs> indeed, yeah.
1: Indeed, indeed. <laughs> um, but the reason you are sitting here is because of a sad cafe. Now, you joined the band uh, when John Stimson decided to, to call it a day with the group, didn't he? Now, at this yeah. point, the band already had some big hits, a top 10 albums. So how did it come about that you were asked to join with them then?
2: Well, I'd been, at the time, I was a session player in Manchester, and I used to regularly bump into Paul, Paul Young, uh, Ian Wilson, Vic Emerson, because they did sessions as well, as well as being in the band. Uh, and I'd known Paul for a few years and he rang me one day and I, I think I was at somewhere like Granada. And, and, he, and he rang me and he said, um, "Can you could you drop round the house on your way home? He used to call me Desley. Don't know why, but that was his nickname for me. Uh, and he said, "I've got something I just want you to play on something for me." So I went round to his house, had a little amp, and he played me this song. and And so I I put a bass line on it. And he said, oh, "I love it. I love it." Um, what are you doing tonight? So I said, "Well, I was going home." And he said, "Right. Um, can you drum drop into Strawberry Studios and put the bass line down on it?" So I said, "Yeah, okay." And I assumed it was one of his little projects because I'd done a few for him before. Um, So I turned up at Strawberry, uh, walked into the studio and the band were all sitting there. So I thought, oh, hello, (laughs) what's this about? And they just said, no, we just want you to play on the track for us. So I played on the track and they all loved it. And they said, oh, um, what are you doing tomorrow night? Can you come back again? So I said, yeah, thinking nice session, you know, good bit of money here. Mm -hmm. Uh, And the next night I turned up and John was sitting there, John Stimson. And I said, I, it was like a little bit embarrassing. But oh, he goodness. said, no, 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 no. He said, don't worry about it. He said, look, I'm stepping back from playing. I'm going to get into the management side of it. And, and Paul wants you in the band. Um, so do you fancy doing the rest of the album? And I said, yes, of course. <laughs> uh, and, and so I did the rest of the album. And then at the end, he came up and he, and he said, and I'm not going to be doing any live playing. So do you want to do the tour? which was the Ola Tour in 1981. So I said, yeah, fantastic. Obviously, you know, not really looking too far into the future because it, <laughs> as far as I was concerned, this was just a well-paid session. Um, but as it turned out, I mean, I'd, I'd been in loads and loads of bands, played loads and loads of gigs, but the culture shock of walking on stage the first night and I think it was a yes. Hall in Preston to this massive audience and suddenly I was no longer a sideman you know all the gigs I'd done before I was just a face in a band I was a sideman suddenly I'm Des Tong from Sad Cafe (laughs) and that was a bit of a head shock I tell you because um wow I didn't quite realize what what it was going to entail uh, and about three gigs into the to the tour, Paul Paul came in and he he had the tour manager with him. And um he gave him a he, he gave him some money and he said, take him out, buy him some rock and roll clothes, because I'd been wearing a cool suit up to this point. <laughs> buy him some rock and roll clothes. And he turned around and he said, And shave that beard off. <laughs> <laughs>
1: oh, and so that. that was
2: that was me in Sad Cafe, and that was like nineteen eighty one, and I'm still here. <laughs>
1: indeed yeah 40 plus years later um so you, you've mentioned that the audiences and things like that on stage but what was it like being part of a band that were obviously well known across the uk the the huge hit obviously everyone knows everyday hers all that sort of stuff um what was it like kind of being part of a group as big as that
2: it was amazing absolutely amazing the fans are incredible
1: mm-hmm.
2: they still are i mean we we've just done um we've just done three gigs uh, One was in um, Milton Keynes A place called The Stables Which is a fabulous venue It's owned by the Dankworth, Johnny Dankworth Foundation And then we went up to North Yorkshire We did a gig in Whitby And then down to uh, Lincolnshire A big gig in Louth Now the people there They're coming up to us There was a guy and his wife And they said We met in 1981 At the Manchester <laughs> Apollo On the Olay tour And they had they had a scrapbook with all photographs of me, oh, wow. I was like a child. <laughs> but they said, you know, we followed you ever since. And and it was the same wherever we went. You know, people were coming up to us because we always make a point of going out afterwards and saying hello. Yeah. And they were all coming up and they were saying, like, this is incredible. We've missed you so much, you know, because, because we go right back. And some of them, obviously, early, earlier than when I when I joined, but they have that affinity. It's a, it's like a big family, you know. And and it's not like they own you, but they they are almost part of you. Yes, yeah, you know. And and it, it, it's lovely. It, it really is nice to meet these people again after you know after all these years. We played at, um we played last year. We played at a little gig in Barn Oldswick, um in. <laughs> She's actually barwick to the locals. And I'd had a message on our on our um, Facebook page from this guy, and he said, uh, and this was a similar thing. We met um on your 1981 tour. Could we could we get you to sign an album for us and, and could we say hello? And I went, oh, Of course you can, you know. So they turned up and they've got all these various things for us to sign. And they sat at the front of the stage. It was only a tiny little venue, but they sat there and they sang every word to oh, wow. every song. And, and they, they knew the words better than we did. <laughs>
1: <laughs> amazing.
2: It's absolutely amazing. Yeah, absolutely. The fans are yeah. incredible.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. Um, and in terms of that period then, because you were with the band for about 10 years originally, weren't you, before Paul left. Yeah. I mean, yeah. What, what were your highlights from that time in the band then?
2: Uh, Glastonbury. Uh, we played Glastonbury in, I think it was '82. Uh, there was only one stage, just the pyramid stage, and um, Van Morrison was on with us, uh, and that was amazing. I can, I can, I. W- we went on last, and I can remember it was really cold, and <laughs> they were putting, they were using dry ice, and my feet were freezing. <laughs> That's about the, the main thing I can remember for that. Uh, we Glamour did ready. Oh, I know. Yeah, um, we did Reading uh, that year as well. That was that was great. Um, a couple of very very uh, crazy trips uh, in Europe. Uh, we su- we supported Nils Lofgren in Germany, yeah, which yeah. was uh, which was a great tour. Yeah, those um, there were they were exciting times. You know, we were we the the band was on fire. Yeah. Um. We got the, you know, we got the tag of being one of the best live bands in the UK. And and we really, we, really worked. I mean, it yeah. was just, it was a machine. It was this powerful machine that when we hit that stage for like a 90 minutes, it was just in your face. And it was brilliant. <laughs> it was absolutely brilliant.
1: And that's quite interesting as a contrast as well, because like I said, everybody knows Every Day Hurts because it was the big single. But it was almost a a weight around the band's neck in a way, wasn't it? Because Sad Cafe were a rock group. I mean, My Oh My and Black Rose and things like that. They're really upbeat and rocking songs, but kind of everyone knows Every Day Hurts. So was was that a kind of a stone around the band's neck? Well,
2: um, yeah, I mean, we always get asked that. I think you've got to take success how it comes. So if, if it was Everyday Hurts, you've got to take that. You can't turn around and say, ah, no, we don't want that. Because, <laughs> because people love that song. That song came at a time when punk was really big. Yes, and it was needed. Because you got all those young girls at university in their little, in their little dorms. You got all these young <laughs> couples meeting. And they wanted an anthem uh, to, to, to latch onto. And, and everyday hurts was was that anthem and still is you know people still come up and 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 tell you where they were when they when they first heard it which is which is amazing it but is. you know the 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 like you say the band had a, a, a the other catalog was was great songs and that's what we're finding people still love black rose and and uh a my, oh my and and ladi da which is which is surprising that it was, a, it was like a minor hit in America, and we've introduced it back into the set, and people are really loving it. Um, oh, good. You know, it's 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 great,
1: fantastic. And I've got to ask you as well about Paul Young. I mean, I had uh, Paul Carrack on the show as well recently, and just nice to hear about him. So, what was it like working with Paul? What was he like in the studio? Obviously, he had a great voice, but just talk a bit about Paul. <laughs> uh,
2: how long have we got?
1: <laughs> well, Paul, Paul was was.
2: A great character. He was larger than life. Um, yeah, his voice. His voice was sensational. Um, I mean, I I interviewed Paul Carrick about him, and and they they both got the gig with Mike and the Mechanics at the same yeah. time. You know, because Mike Mike Rutherford couldn't choose between the two of them, so he kept them both. And and Carrick had the utmost respect for Youngie because because Paul could Paul could take an audience by the throat and just and just rock them. Um, he was, he was a real sort of tough, um, he, he liked things right. Uh, he got annoyed when they weren't, mm-hmm. but, uh, he was, he was a pleasure to work with. I mean, you just knew that when Jungi hit the stage, you were off. And, yeah. and I, do I, you know, I did loads of stuff when I was producing, I used Paul and loads of things and he'd come in and he'd be the ultimate professional, uh, and, and do, and do stuff and you'd think how on earth is he coming up with that but he did and uh, and it was a massive shock you know i mean he was never really ill uh he was he was a titan you know he was a big guy and 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 so it really hit hard to everybody who knew him that it was com- he, you know it was completely out of the blue yeah when it when it happened um and uh yeah i mean the st- the story uh a good friend of mine, a guy called Alistair Gordon, who's a producer and writer, had been working with Paul on a solo album because cara had done one and, and all the others were doing things. And Paul wanted to write a solo album. And Alistair knew that in the studio in Paul's house there were all these songs on tapes that were, you know, great songs. But he couldn't really he couldn't really push it because obviously what had happened. So he, he left it. And about Seven or eight years later, Paul's wife Pat turned up on his doorstep with a cardboard box, and just said, "Full of tapes," and just yeah. said to Alistair, "Can you do anything with these?" And so he took them to um, this studio in Gothenburg where he was working, and and they meticulously, meticulously—that's a word, isn't it? They okay. stripped all the music off of these tapes; just kept Paul's voice. Now, yeah. some of them were finished but some of them were like ideas. And Youngie was always putting ideas down and never finishing them off. So Alistair very cl- cleverly uh, made songs, complete songs from these bits that, that Paul had put down. And then uh, Dave Irving, the drummer at the time, he he called Dave up and Dave went over and put all the drum tracks down. And then the following week, uh, I went over to, to Gothenburg and played bass on them. And it was... Uncanny because you were sitting there nine years after Paul had gone mm-hmm. and his voice was like, Oh my god, when you know when it when it first started, it was it was oh it was eerie. And it probably took me about a day to get used to what was going on. Um but then we did this uh we did this album, it was called Chronicles, and there's some great songs on it. You've got people like uh Mike Rutherford played on it, Paul Carrick sang on it. Um, Graham Gouldman, Eric Stewart. Wow. Uh, and it's, it's, it is a stunning piece of work that I think is a great tribute. Um, and we do want we do one of his songs, actually, it's called house of many wow. nations. And we do that in our set as a, as a tribute to him. Yeah. yeah it's well, a great sure. album.
1: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. And speaking of being live, I mean, you, you said that you've done a few dates already this year. You've got dates all the way through 2023. I mean, you've got some nice festivals lined up. You've got some other gigs lined up as well. So is it nice to be back on the road and playing these songs still?
2: Absolutely. I mean, yeah, if you're a musician, you want to play, don't you? Um, we've got, I, I, you know, I think we mentioned it before. That obviously, people have passed, you know, Paul died, Victor died, John, John Stimson died. Um, and other people have moved on. They've retired. Uh, Dave Irving retired recently. Ian Wilson retired. Uh, health issues, you know, we all get health issues, and and the travelling is, 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 cruel, is cruel at times. So what I've done is I, I decided I'm not going to let this rest. Uh, so I'm now captain of the ship, <laughs> and I've put together an amazing band of musicians who are all, Stunning players uh, in their own right. Um, the guitar player, a uh, guy called Dave Day, works with Leo Sayer when he's over. Um, Matt Steele, the keyboard player, is with the brand-new Heavies. Um, oh. And we've got uh, a great drummer, Steve Gibson, plays with a lot of the big blues people. Uh, Neil Shaw Hume, the sax player, is, is a fantastic player, multi-instrumentalist. You know, um, and then the the lead singer now Barry James Thomas, um, he's got a great story because when Paul was growing up, his best pal was a guy called Dougie Thomas, and Dougie Thomas in Manchester he became Dougie James, and he had a band called the Dougie James Soul Train. Now we all played in Dougie James's band. <laughs> Paul did, I did, uh, guys from Ten CC did. Dougie was one of those guys that you you know you he was he attracted the great players, yeah. and Barry was his younger brother, <laughs> so he grew up alongside Paul and and on stage he says I remember he was Uncle Paul and Auntie Pat, <laughs> so he goes right back to to when they first did Thanks to Ra and he said Paul brought this album round to, for for his brother. Who wasn't particularly bothered about listening to it, but Barry did, and Barry learned all the songs. So it's yeah. a dream come true for Barry now to actually be singing with the band.
1: Phenomenal. And we've Phenomenal. also
2: got a we've also got a fantastic uh, guy who represents us, a guy called Peter Barton. Yes, and he's re- he's really got it. He understands the band. He knows where we should play and he knows where we shouldn't play. And, you know, it's quite frustrating at times because you think, oh, I'd love to play that place. And you got no, no, don't bother about that. No, <laughs> I'll find you a better place than that. And, yeah. But he's wonderful. You know, yeah. like I say, he gets it. He gets us. And um, so it's a pleasure. And he's putting, yeah, like you say, he's putting some really nice uh, nice gigs in for us. Um, and we've just recently, um, you know, we're gonna, we are going to do mu- new material. Oh. I bet that was one of your questions wasn't it yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but but um we've decided you know that yes we want to move this on we're not going to still go backwards we're going forwards and the mm. guys are all you know those sort of people um and two conversations that I've had with um with people that I know uh, and I can tell you this because I'm sure they won't they won't uh, they won't be upset I mean we haven't really finalized it but I made, a, I made a, uh, I sent a message to Graham Gouldman, who I've yeah. known for years. Graham Gouldman was responsible for me getting my Music Man bass because yeah. Graham, I met Graham at Strawberry, and he said to me, I've got this guitar that you will love. Uh, you can't have it, but I'll lend it to you, and you can use it to sessions. You can use it on gigs, and I, I tell you now, you'll want one, and it was a Music Man Stingray, and I did. I went out and bought one, brand new, in 1980, and I still use it today. Wow. And it's, it's an amazing, amazing guitar. But so I contacted Graham and said, uh, we're back. We're out there doing it, um, and we want to do some recordings. If you don't ask, you don't get. Do you have anything that you think might suit us? And he straight away replied, and he said, fantastic news. What are you looking for? And I said, well, we don't want a ballad because don't want to go down that route again. But I said, how about something a bit like Black Rose and la Dida? 10 minutes later, he sent me a song. Wow. So, <laughs> so that is now, we, we're starting working on that. And uh, another one of my interviewees, um, Russ Ballard, who's yes. a, a, a lovely, lovely guy. It was a great interview I did with him. Um, I spoke to him. And he's sorting us a song out as well. So, you know, we, we are looking, I think, at surprising quite a few people yeah. uh, because, you know, as I say, we're not – yes, of course we're looking backwards to do the back catalogue. We've got to. But we're not only doing that. We're now going forward. There is a new life in Sad Cafe, which yes. I think will surprise people. And people who have been coming to the shows, and we've got some wonderful uh, comments – from people on the show, um, which, which is amazing, yes. you know, that, that people are, are accepting it. And the fact that, okay, I'm the only person who goes back 40-odd years with them, but they want to hear the music, Yeah, you know, yeah. It, it's important to them. You know, they want to sit there and relive Black Rose. They want to sit there and relive Everyday Hurts. And we're giving them that.
1: Yeah, wonderful. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure chatting with you, Des. As you said, uh, there's loads of dates on the road that Sad Cafe are out and about. So what's the best way of uh, keeping in touch and finding out where you're going to be and what, you, what you're what you doing?
2: Well, our Facebook page is um, Sad Cafe Now. And we've got a website, which is sadcafe.co.uk. And, and say hello to us if you... You know, If you contact us, say hello. If you come to one of the gigs, come and say hello. We're always coming out at the end, so come and say hello.
1: And a big thanks to the wonderful Des Tong for sharing his stories there. If you get a chance, check out the band On The Road. It'll be a night of top songs and you'll probably recognise more than you'd expect. Check out Sad Cafe now on Facebook and social media for all the latest details. Right, it's the time of the show for this week's top five, and I'm going to give you my favourite five songs from Sad Cafe, of course. But a big shout out to everyone who commented and got in touch with their favourite songs from the Hollies last week. Now, if you haven't listened to episode 83 yet with the brilliant Alan Clark, lead singer and rock and roll hall of famer, of course, then do check it out now. It's got so much love and to be honest, I was a bit overwhelmed with all the lovely comments that came in. But for the song choices, I went with Long Core Woman at number one, Bus Stop at two, Just One Look at three, He Ain't Heavy, He's My Brother at four, and The Great Carrie-Anne at five. Some of the comments then. Uh, Christian Swain, the rock and roll archaeologist, he simply replied with, Uh, the air that I breathe? Lots of question marks. OK, it's a great song, but not quite in my top five, I'm afraid. Uh, Gene O'Donnell said, Love your choices, I'd have Carousel in there. Uh, Jeff and Paula Chekolinsky had a few of the same as me, but added Cable Car and You Know the Score. Uh, Michelle Verhoose had Just One Look as his number one, with the great Jennifer Eccles also making his five. Uh, Dory Jennings had My Back Pages and Look Through Any Window, topping her list of five. And uh, Carousel also made her list. Simon Galloway also went with a couple of mine but added The Clown and King Midas in Reverse on there interesting song Uh, Maurice Bushdinsky, he said some good picks but I gotta show some love for Sorry Suzanne top tune indeed and uh, Julio Cesar Espirito Santo de Oliveira added the day that Curly Billy shot down Crazy Sam McGee what a great song title huge thanks to everyone that joined in this week I love to see what you think of these bands and their catalogues and all that sort of stuff too it's a lot of fun Right, so let's see what you make of this one this week then. My favourite five songs from Sad Cafe. At five is a song with a great intro. It's got a deeper vibe to it and a cracking solo, too. It appears on their big album, Facades. At number five is Crazy Oyster. And number four is their big hit. It's as sing-along as sing-along gets. And number four is Everyday Hurts. At number three is another from the Facades album, the opener in fact. It's a great rocking-up beat tune with a cool guitar riff and some funky backing vocals too. At number three is Take Me to the Future. I- Number two is a fairly chilled song until the last few minutes when it gets heavy, and it's the reason it features so highly on my list. That last two minutes, fantastic. And number two is Let Love Speak For Itself. And at number one for me is one off their debut album, Thanks Tara. Big recognizable intro, big stompy chorus, much love. My favorite song from Sad Cafe is Black Rose. So there you go, my top five songs from Sad Cafe. As always, I'd love to hear what you think. What's your favourite track of theirs? Message me on the social media platforms or email me vintagerockpod at gmail.com and I'll give you a mention on next week's show. And remember, check out Facebook, Twitter, Instagram and YouTube for all the Vintage Rock Pod latest. Well, that's it for me and this week's big interview show. Next week's is another cracker with a fantastic lead singer of a rock and roll band from America. Thanks again for listening to this one, though. Make sure you subscribe to Vintage Rock Pod on your podcast app so you get all the episodes that are released daily, remember. So I will be back tomorrow with another This Day Rocks. But until then, take care.